What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer, one of the voices behind the CNBC podcast Squawk Pod. In these times of uncertainty, we want to make sure we're bringing you, our listeners, as much information as possible as quickly as we can. That's why we're sharing with you now a CNBC special report, Markets in Turmoil. Listen in. Good evening, I'm Wilfred Frost on day 110 of the coronavirus crisis. Stocks end the week with another big push forward. And in one hour, a new mandatory face mask rule goes into effect here in New York State. Big rally to end the week on Wall Street. Stocks pick up more lost ground. We're nowhere near where we need to be on testing. One reason? Optimism, a virus fighter is coming soon. The results there look encouraging. But is the market placing too much hope in a cure? This CNBC special report, Markets in Turmoil, begins right now. Here's Wilfred Frost. Stocks rallying sharply to end the week on the news we brought you last night about Gilead's virus treatment showing early promise. The Dow rose 700 points today to finish at its highest level since March 10th. Strong showings from the S&P 500, the Nasdaq uh, as well. S&P now 15 percent from its all-time high. The Nasdaq just 12 percent from its high. Leading the way on the Dow, a nearly 15 percent gain in Boeing after it said it was restarting commercial production in Washington. Gilead was the biggest winner on the Nasdaq. That was up 10 percent. For the week, the Dow was up 2 percent. S&P 500 was up 3 percent. The Nasdaq a strong 6% higher for the week as a whole. For more on today's markets, uh, let's go to Bob Pisani. Bob, what were the uh, key takeaways for you? Well, it, you showed the leaders here. It was a bit of an anomaly because all the stuff that underperformed this week actually outperformed today. So it was a, a bit of a flip compared to what happened the prior four days. Let me just show you the Dow leaders again. I know Wolf just showed them to you, but Boeing restarting production, that was a big mover. We had great news overall from uh, uh, from uh, uh, Dow, which finally showed a positive day. American Express, the cardholders have been lagging all week. They did well. Visa was up too. ExxonMobil lagging all week. And it too was a big market leader. That's not a typo. They're up 10 percent. The laggards, all the stuff that's done great this week. Walmart was at a new high. It's down. Procter & Gamble had good earnings reports. Uh, it ended up 2 percent. Merck and United Health and the healthcare companies were fine. Apple down because of a Goldman Sachs downgrade. Other than that, it was on the upside. Here's what's worrying me a little bit, Wilf. How much more upside? This is the big debate this weekend do we have. We've come 55 percent off of the lows here for the S&P 500. So, so far, 2001 earnings, they're trying to tell us we should be looking at 2001 earnings, not 2000. They're saying that's what we should do. It's 18 times forward. That's really pricey already. So remember something. This rally has been based on better treatment hopes, and it's been based on reopening a timeline. So that reopening, though, is very contingent on mass testing and on minimal reinfection in the month of May. There's a lot of execution risk around this, around testing and around the reinfection risk that's out there. And Wolf, I think a lot of people are going to be debating just how far 
more, the market can go up right now. Back to you. And, and Bob, to your point about the economy, when we look at the commentary from the banks, which all reported earnings this week, or if we look at the bond market, where we did see yields uh, go down this week, i.e. people buying those safe haven bonds, the, the, the takeaway from that is that the economy might not rebound as quickly as things like the Nasdaq, the tech-heavy uh, stocks have done this week and over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, and, and remember, even though today we had cyclicals outperforming, the whole week basically it was consumer names, it was consumer staples and healthcare, all defensive names that led until Thursday night. And then we had a little bit of a reversal today. Uh, Bonds were well bid, particularly Treasury bonds were well bid throughout the week. And that's, of course, lending some concern out there uh, that uh, the, the safe haven plays are not going to go away anytime soon just because we had one day rally. Again, execution risk that's out there around getting the infection rate down and, of course, uh, on dealing with uh, the reinfection concerns that are out there. Bob Pisani, thank you so much. Uh, now, shares of Gilead, as we said, up 10% today on hopes that its drug to treat the virus might work. Meg Terrell tonight separates fact from fiction for us. Meg. Hi, Wolf. Well, this was just a snapshot of one clinical trial site that is running one of Gilead's trials for remdesivir, the University of Chicago Medicine. Um, it wasn't the actual results of the clinical trial. Now, those we are expecting later this month. We're going to see First, Gilead's trial in the most severe patients. Uh, later in May, we're going to see Gilead's trial in more moderate patients. And then also later in May, we're going to see what is the gold standard for uh, seeking regulatory approval for a drug, which is this double-blind placebo-controlled study run by the NIH. And now that's really important because that's actually comparing the drug to a control group, to the placebo, to actually try to tease out whether the drug is actually working. It's also double-blinded, which means nobody knows who's on the drug and who's not. So uh, a lot of experts in the uh, biotech world are saying that is going to be the data that we're going to be looking for. But another key question, Wilf, um, isn't just how well the drug works, but how much can Gilead actually make of this drug? It's a difficult drug to manufacture. Gilead has said it has a goal of producing 140,000 treatment courses by the end of May, 500,000 uh, by October. Uh, and more than a million by December, and then several million in 2021 if needed. And now one of the important data points from these trials we're going to be looking for um, is whether the treatment course can be shorter than 10 days, because of course that would allow for more courses of treatment. Um, but these are all questions that are going to need to be answered. So uh, the snapshot that we saw today being seen as hopeful by many on Wall Street, uh, but certainly not yet uh, a silver bullet. And even if this drug does get approved, it alone may not be a silver bullet. Uh, I think we're going to bring in uh, Kenan Mackay now from RBC Capital Markets to talk with us about his modeling. Uh, he is an analyst in the biotech world. But Kenan, we're going to ask you, of course, about your modeling of where we are in the course of this disease in the United States. Thanks for being with us again for I think it's your fourth week in a row. We've been following your models since the beginning, and you are showing that we are flattening the curve. We are better at social distancing than anybody expected us to be here in the United States. Tell us about what your modeling shows. Yeah, no, thank you for having me, Meg. Fifth week, um, and like I said, very happy to be here. 
so the U.S. definitely is flattening the curve. Uh, as we talk about flattening the curve, the one sort of intervention that we've seen here that definitively does work is social distancing. Time from social distancing is what really relates to a change in the function of how the virus is spreading and growing through the United States. And again, we are seeing that flattening. We're now just over three weeks from the implementation of social distancing here. And we've been on a plateau or so for around the last seven days. Uh, the T-doubling time, the time that it takes for the number of cases in the U.S. to double, has gone from 1.5 days prior uh, to the implementation of social distancing to now over 15 days. So it's taking more than two weeks now for the number of cases to double. Again, that could reverse if social distancing is relaxed, so it's not sort of set in stone here, but very positive signs that we are actually getting a lid on the spread of the virus here. One of the things you're also showing in your modeling is, of course, the differences between states and regionally around the country. Tell us about what you're seeing around the U.S. in terms of who's slowing down, who's picking up. Yeah, obviously, New York here has been a hotspot uh, around the U.S. Uh, California, on the other hand, done things very differently. The Western coalition of states that we've seen out there done things very differently. Uh, we've seen a 50 to 70 percent decline from the, the peak number of new daily cases uh, for the Western states. That's something that's far in excess of what we're seeing out here in the East uh, and really quite promising as we think about the potential to reopen some of these economies. As you've looked around the world at other countries that are farther ahead of us, you know, you've compared China and Italy and their recoveries look pretty different. And you say we might look more like Italy. Tell us about that. Yeah, no, that, that's certainly what the data is suggesting. The response that China saw to social distancing has been absolutely remarkable, unlike anything that's been observed in another country. They went from the peak of their new daily cases down to sub 100 cases on a daily basis within one month. That hasn't been seen anywhere else in the world uh, just yet. And I think if you compare sort of the growth curve of the virus that we're seeing in the U.S. and the slowing that we're seeing here, it does overlap much more with Italy. We're seeing much more of a plateau in the number of new cases than sort of a steady decline, a sharp decline from the peak that we achieved just uh, a little over a week ago now. All right, Kenan, thank you again for joining us and helping us uh, plot where we are. And we look forward to continuing our discussions with you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having us. Back over to you. Kenan, Meg, thank you so much for that. Uh, now, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, uh, also with us tonight. He's former FDA commissioner. He's a CNBC contributor, uh, joins us uh, now. Dr. Gottlieb, good, good evening to you. Let, let's kick off on that same theme we just had uh, in terms of flattening the curve. Are you as optimistic as the previous guest that that is actually happening? And to what extent is it a problem that uh, the pace across America of flattening is different from city to city, region to region, when it comes to attempting to reopen the economy? Thank you. I, I think we're showing a downward trend across the country. There's certainly um, some hot spots, uh, parts of the panhandle in Florida. You look at parts of Texas, you see cases doubling every three to four days in parts of Texas around Houston. But on a whole, we're seeing a flattening across the United States and a steady decline in cases in parts of the country that were earlier to enter the epidemic. Look, I think regionally, um, different governors and different mayors are going to have to make different decisions about reopening the country. I think as we get into May, we're going to see sustained reductions across the United States, and we can all contemplate 
gradually getting back to work in a staged fashion, in a very cautious fashion, where we bring people back in stages and in tests to make sure that there's not a reignition in the number of cases as a result of bringing people back together. But some parts of the country are clearly going to lag. I think there's parts of the country that have been minimally infect, affected by the, uh, by the coronavirus so far. Those parts of the country might open up sooner, but parts of the country where you saw epidemic spread, like the tri-state area, I think that they're going to be a little bit slower to open up. I think we're looking at mid-May for parts of the Northeast that were particularly hard hit by this virus. We've seen talk of potential second waves in places like Hong Kong, Singapore, Taiwan. Are you concerned about that? What lessons can we learn? I'm very concerned. And um, those countries had good systems in place to do good track and trace, do good surveillance, do good testing. And the fact that they haven't been able to contain the virus and keep it at bay and they're experiencing now a second wave. Singapore is seeing a real uptick in cases, a significant number of cases. They've now closed schools and implemented harsher measures than what they had at the outset. Um, I think that's a concern and it's a real risk probably going into the fall. I think that as we reopen in May and head into the summer, um, if there is going to be spread, it might be low-level spread. We're never going to get rid of all the cases of coronavirus. We're going to continue to have spread in this country. The goal is to try to keep outbreaks from occurring and try to contain the cases as much as possible. But as we go into the fall, there's a real risk that this starts to rebound as people go back to school um, on college campuses, as kids go back to school, um, as people go back into offices coming off the summer. I think that that's the real risk that we face. Hopefully we have a much better toolbox. And I know we're going to talk about that a little tonight going into the fall in terms of better testing and treatments that can mitigate some of that risk. Well, to that point, let's talk about the testing. Uh, to, to what extent are we getting closer to the all-important uh, antibody test? And uh, what can that actually tell us when we have it? Yeah, we're, we're, the antibody tests are coming onto the market. I'm not sure how important they're going to be. They're, they're very useful as a research tool to try to discern what level of exposure the overall population's had. But once we do antibody testing on scale, we're likely to see that a very small percentage of the population has been exposed to this virus, either had COVID, had the disease, or were exposed to the infection, never got ill from it, but were exposed to it and developed some level of immunity. Somewhere on the order of 2 to 5% of the whole population, and probably at the lower end of that range. In certain hotspots, it's going to be higher, places like New York and Staten Islands and at Staten Island, Queens and New York. I would expect it could be um, 10, 20, maybe 30 percent in parts of New York City. But on the whole, nationally, it's likely to be very low. And it's not going to be useful as a sort of return to work tool. We're likely to find a very low percentage of the population has been exposed to this and developed any kind of immunity. In certain professions, it's going to be higher, so it can be used in an effective way to help identify who can go back to work sooner or who can be put in frontline positions. Healthcare workers, TSA agents, um, EMT, firefighters, police. You're likely to see higher rates of exposure in those professions, flight attendants, but on the whole, it's likely to be fairly low. There were a couple of studies out today that seemed to affirm that, showing exposure in Santa Clara around 2 to 4 percent. In Seattle, a study showed much less than that, more in the order of 1 percent. Um, I think nationally, as we do those studies, though, when we're, when we're through this epidemic, we're likely to see something on the order of 2 to 5 percent on the whole. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, much more thanks still ahead on this CNBC special report, Markets in Turmoil. Next, inside those $1,200 payments millions of Americans are expecting. Many of them may not be exactly as advertised. Also, individual business owners from across the country sounding off about where they stand in this mess, what they're doing, and what they need. And one banker's story, as he serves as a bridge between life and death for many of these businesses. Before the break... Images from around the country on the 110th day of this global pandemic.
Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Yeah, look, we're nowhere near where we need to be on testing. Let's just be straight with folks. A few weeks ago, we were talking about reagents, RNA extraction kits, and not having enough capacity to do the diagnostics. Now the biggest challenge is swabs in the media to carry the swabs. The good news is we're getting more throughput, point-of-care testing, and we're seeing the adoption of a lot of innovation. That was California's governor on where things stand when it comes to testing in his state. Here are some more headlines on the virus. Global deaths top 150,000 with 35,000 in the United States. Walmart reaches its goal of hiring 150,000 people to keep up with demand for groceries and other items and plans to hire 50,000 more. In less than an hour, New York State will require people to wear masks in public if they can't be at least six feet apart. That includes public transportation and cars. And the PGA looks to be the first major sport to return to action, holding its first golf tournament in June in Texas, but of course without fans. Now, many Americans are getting their $1,200 stimulus checks this week. Uh, millions more are still waiting. Sharon Epperson tonight on who's getting the money and how much they'll actually see and when. Sharon. Wilf, the IRS says about 80 million Americans receive payments this week into their bank accounts. But there are still many Americans who face delays, wanted to know when those payments were coming because they were, there were mix-ups and there was a lack of information about when they're going to receive their money. Payments went out first to those who filed tax returns in 2018, 2019, got a refund, and it went into their bank account because they'd already put their direct deposit information on that return. Today, we learned about another group that will be receiving automatic payments, and that's veterans. Late this afternoon, the Treasury Secretary said that veterans and their family members who receive benefits will get economic income payments, as they're called, even if they did not file a 2018-2019 tax return. The others who will automatically get payments include those who receive Social Security, retirement, disability, survivor's benefits, supplemental security income, as well as railroad retirement benefits last year. Now, keep in mind, having direct deposit, even if you never filed a tax return, um, is very important if you want to try to get that payment and that deposit faster. And the IRS has a, a link on its website to allow non-filers who are not part of those other groups that will automatically get those payments to put in their bank information. So if you go to irs.gov slash coronavirus slash economic income payment, you will find a non-filers link. You'll also find a get my payment link to find out the status of when you'll receive your payment and also to supply bank account information if you have already filed a 2018 or 2019 tax return but did not have your direct deposit information there, either because you owed or you didn't supply it. Now, if you are one who gets a paper check, if you ever get a refund, or if you don't have that information on file, you will receive a paper check from the IRS, but it could take a while. Some say it could take several months. It may not be until the summer until some of those checks actually hit your mailbox. Wilf? Sharon Epson, thank you so much for that. 
Uh, still to come, of course, uh, later, much more discussion in terms of what it means for small businesses as well as those individuals. Kevin O'Leary will be with us uh, in a few moments. Uh, but uh, another programming note to, to flag to you. On May 12th, CNBC hosts Healthy Returns, a virtual summit on healthcare. For tickets, go to cnbcevents.com slash healthy returns. A lot more still to come on this CNBC special report. Tonight, the path forward. Individual business owners tell us their stories. From uncertainty to trouble to action. What they're doing to stay afloat. And what these businesses need to survive, thrive, and to continue to employ millions from sea to shining sea. Next, The Path Forward. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Business, America's lifeblood, faces unprecedented challenges. The government promises to step in. But is it enough? And is it fast enough? Signs of trouble everywhere. The great American consumer stuck at home. The lending market on uncertain ground. The fear palpable. Tonight, four American business owners and the CEO of a regional bank on where we stand and the path forward. Once again, here's Wilfred Frost. Welcome back. Uh, tonight, we are focusing on the path forward for independent businesses, so many of them requesting money from the government. The program ran out of money already. Joining us now, Kevin O'Leary, O'Shea's chairman and star of Shark Tank. Kevin, uh, you own sort of 51 businesses or partly own 51 businesses. H how are they doing at the moment, what level of them are, are facing really, really tough times? You know, Wilf, I have a pretty broad portfolio across all sectors in almost every state now. And I would say just on a statistical basis, one third are probably going to have to go to zero. They just can't survive no revenue at all. And I'm just, I don't want to sugarcoat this, but two thirds are pivoting. They're figuring out ways to stay alive. They're starting to appeal directly to their customers to try and They've lost retail distribution, no question about that. They're trying to sell direct. They're working with the banks to get their PPP. They're working with their shareholders. They're doing everything in their power to just keep the DNA of their business alive for the next three to four months because nobody knows how long this is going to last. But, but it's going to change America for sure. And, and I have confidence, if there's anything to be optimistic about, in the sheer resilience of American entrepreneurs to survive. They've worked hard to build their businesses. They don't want to die. They're family businesses in many cases. They want to keep their employees. They want to keep the DNA of their business intact. And they're just doing whatever they can. It's chaos out there, Wilf. It really is. Well, you mentioned the, the PPP there. That's the government's paycheck protection program where small businesses can apply for, for government-backed loans. Uh, have all of your 51 companies been doing that? And, and what's been their experience? Not only that, but they've gone to crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding. They're doing everything they can. They've, they've all applied, of course. But some have missed the deadline. 
It depends on the relationship of your bank. We've applied at you know, all kinds of different banks, TD Bank, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, you name it. I talk to them every day. We have these giant Zoom calls. You know, we're hoping another $250 billion comes in. Some have already received money, but that's not their major concern, Wilf. What they're really, really worried about is how long is this going to last. They can make it into July, but they can't make it much faster that unless they get another helicopter load of money. It really depends on the length of when we get back to semi-normal. And, and, and for small business, that means for the ones that are dealing in Main Street where they had retail outlets, it's scary, very scary for them. Kevin, as you know, we've got three or four uh, small business owners joining us uh, for that, the rest of the show. Really want to lean on, on your expertise as we talk to them. Let's bring in the first of those. Alan Rosen, the owner of Junior's Cheesecake, his comments on how he plans to use the PPP loans uh, have been on our network and uh, sparked uh, controversy over the last couple of days. A Alan, uh, good to see you again. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Just remind us uh, of, of, of what you've done with the PPP, you've, you've applied, and, and what are you planning to do with the money? We've applied. We have four restaurants uh, in, in the tri-state area, three of them in New York and one up in Connecticut. We've applied for PPP loans for all of them. We've received funding for two. Um, one more is a, they were both approved. I just received notice about an hour ago that one of them is not going to be funded by this first PPP product that's out there. So we're going to have to wait for number two. But we, we were fortunate. I mean, we have a very good lender in Stiefel and they came through for us. But as uh, Kevin just pointed out, this is a difficult, difficult time for business. And it's a difficult, difficult time for humanity. And, and in terms of uh, what you plan to do with, with the money you've got from that, it, it's not uh, as simple as just paying staff. Well, everyone thinks it's as simple as just paying staff. And we could certainly do that. But I think what the purpose of the PPP is and the purpose of the Small Business Administration is to make these businesses survive for another 70 years in our case. And if I spent all the money in the next eight weeks while we are unable to physically be open in New York State and Connecticut, um, I think that we would be out of running room and then we'd be done when it was finally time to go back to work. Kevin, uh, business owners do need to have some flexibility on how to execute these types of decisions. Well, let me, let me give you a little disclosure. Alan and I know each other. In another life, on another planet, I'm Chef Wonderful on QVC. Alan has the most successful commercial kitchens for making complicated cakes probably in America. So when I want to sell a cake, I go to him and I basically buy my own recipe from him and he makes it for me and I sell it under the Chef Wonderful brand on QVC. Alan's problem, and let's be, let, let's be honest with each other, Alan, you never saw this coming and that's fair. But you have, the, you have the knowledge that people in America tonight are eating the same amount of cheesecake as they ate last week, as they ate 15 weeks ago. You just don't have the distribution set up to capture that. I'm sure you will make sure that you will fix that for the next time we no, have a pandemic. No, no, no offense, Mr. Wonderful, but that part of our business, the direct-to-consumer business, which you know about, and our grocery business is actually thriving this environment. But as you pointed out earlier, the retail business on Main Street is where the trouble is hitting us. Because when you go from a revenue of $70 million in restaurants to zero and overnight, you know, that's something, as you said, nobody expected. But our, but our but traditional Alan, grocery Alan, going business forward, is You cannot let that risk exist going forward. People eat cheesecake. I, I don't want you to go out of business. I need your commercial kitchens to I, make my product. I'm not going product. out of business. So you don't have to worry, Kevin. 
But the point is, why do you expose yourself going forward after what you've learned to let retail be such a big... And this is a question six, seven, eight million businesses around America are, th are thinking about. Maybe you've got to diversify your risk a little bit next time we go into this. Okay, well, I listen, I'm fortunate that I do have a commercial kitchen down in Burlington, New Jersey, where I bake your wonderful cakes, as you says, say, as well as mine. But we are growing that retail business. Um, we are growing, you know, our grocery business, our direct-to-consumer business. You know, for Easter, I think in seven or eight days in April, we did our whole business for the month. Because as you said, everyone today is taking all of their meals from dining out to dining in. Alan, you, you said there with, with a, a good, confident smile, which was great to see, that, that you are not going out of business. I mean, how long, if things continue in this state, can that confidence remain? It all, listen, I have to have the confidence. Listen, my grandfather went broke in the stock market crash in 1929. Okay, I have that same potential today, but we're, we're hard workers. It's a third generation business. And if whatever I got to do to make it survive, we're going to do. Are we going to need some help? Absolutely. We're going to need our, our landlords are going to have to cooperate. Our vendors going to have to cooperate. Our employees, who I love so very much, have been so cooperative and so appreciative of what's going on. And we're paying for medical benefits as we go through this this tough time. But everyone's going to have to give up something in this environment. And we're going to hopefully come out of this on the other side with a vaccine. And I think people are going to really enjoy going out and being together once again. Well, Alan, thanks so much for joining us uh, this evening. Good luck with it. We appreciate it. Thank I might well be giving me. you a, a cheesecake order over the weekend. Uh, still to be decided, it. Kevin, if it's going to be a Mr. Wonderful branded one. Yeah. No, uh, no, like just stick with, the, stick with the juniors. Kevin's had enough. He's um, doing fine. Alan, thanks so much for joining <laughs> us this evening. Kevin sticks with us for the full show. Uh, lots more to discuss with him uh, with lots more business owners. But next tonight... The banker's perspective will hear the other side of the story in terms of getting the money out to the small businesses that, e that need it. Uh, before we go, uh, here are some images from around the world on the 110th day of this global pandemic. The first round of government help for American business has already been claimed. Tonight we're getting more of a sense of the demand for funds from the banking side of the equation. Jay Sidhu is the executive chairman of Customers Bank. The bank has funded more than 1,200 PPP loans uh, so far uh, and uh, joins us now. Good evening to you. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining us, Jay. So uh, do, you, do you think banks deserve uh, a little bit more credit perhaps than they've got so far uh, for getting these loans out to people in, in what is a, a very sh short space of time for the scale of project that we're talking about? I think the banks that did a good job, they deserve the credits. The banks that did a lousy job, they don't deserve any credit. So I don't think you can generalize, but you got to be specific. You know, I mean, this is a crisis, as Kevin, Mr. Wonderful, my favorite, was talking about, of really a small businesses more than anybody else. 
So the government programs with PPP was to help the small businesses get back as quickly as this can happen because we have a business crisis and then simultaneously we have a development taking place to get rid of and solve the problem with the virus. So what the banks have done and why we took a very lead approach is we said small businesses must be able to keep on functioning. It's very difficult for small, medium-sized businesses to get going again if they're not functioning. That's why PPP is an awesome program. Kevin, uh, you mentioned some of the big bank uh, brands you've been dealing with. Have you been satisfied with uh, their service? You know, look, I have to say that they've been conscripted, just like a young man going to the Korean War. They're forced into doing this. You know, Jay, I have to ask you as a bank, would you ever give out these loans if you didn't have the guarantee specifically that the government was going to backstop you? Because this is not how you make money in the banking business, correct? Oh, Kevin, the government has given us, given a gift, because government is not in the business of giving gifts. But this is like a gift. Why is it a gift, Kevin? As you know, that this is because we had an unexpected, totally unprecedented virus attacking us. So the businesses needed a gift and the banks had to deliver that. So, yes, I was running a very large bank at one time, the top 15 bank in the nation. Selling small loans doesn't move the needle for a large bank. For a small community bank, where the small businesses are the ones who bank with us, it makes a big difference. And so I think... It was the duty of the banks to do this. Jay, what portion of applications that you have received have you been able to fund? We had about 14, 15% of our applications which were in line on Thursday that we couldn't fund. Everything else, we worked 20-hour shifts, seven days a week, including on Easter Sunday, to process everything. We gained 350 customers coming in from the big banks as a result of this, where they said, thank you, Customers Bank, you saved us. And we cannot wait for Congress and for the administration to find a darn solution and give us another $250 billion so that when, wherever this virus ends, which in my opinion, it's going to be sometime over the next few months that there'll be a treatment. There's no question about it. The world is so... Jay, listen, so Jay, I hope, I hope you get that 250. I really do, because I've got plenty of companies that are still looking for their PPP. But let me put on another get hat as a fiduciary. Uh, let me put on another hat as a fiduciary investor, someone who, who takes care of capital for people who are taking long-term investments. This cannot be great profits for banks. This is not helping you make money. 1% loans, massive administration costs, I mean, I know you're doing it for the country. I applaud you. But going forward, how are you going to deal with your shareholders that are saying, wait a minute, we just did this for free, basically? No, how Kevin, does this we didn't fit? do it for I, free. Let me, let me correct you. You are dead, Kevin. Let me correct you. This is not free. All right? This, we are making between 5% and 3% of all the loans. So we did uh, over half a billion in loans. Okay, we made $15 million in 10 days, Kevin. Kevin, you're leaving. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Kevin, I am very glad to hear that as a shareholder. But, you know, there's a reason bank stocks are under such pressure. Not everybody thinks you have enough loan reserves for the result of these loans. And look, I'm, I don't want to be not patriotic on this, but I'm asking about the business you're being forced into to actually provide and can you make money doing that? Would you even contemplate doing this if the government and the taxpayer weren't back stopping you? No, 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 no question about that, Kevin. But this is a government program that the government is asking banks to distribute it to the 
to the right businesses. The government is asking us to verify, look at the, from a Bank Secrecy Act, from a Know Your Customer Act, from the Privacy Act. We are, we are a small business administration approved lenders and banks have a duty mm -hmm. to serve their shareholders, the community and their customers. So we are just distributing for the government. And, and Kevin, this is not that, a typical loan for a bank. There's that nice processing fee that uh, Jay is alluding to that, uh, that, that Kevin left off. I'm going to add a third voice to this, uh, this conversation. Tony uh, Damari uh, is co-owner of Damari Fresh, uh, a producer uh, and producer and distributor uh, of tomato, tomatoes in particular uh, for schools, restaurants, cruise lines and, and others, uh, many of which are, are closed. Uh, Tony, so far, uh, have you been applying for these types of loans and have you had success? We have. We've uh, filed for five different entities. Uh, unfortunately, we've only uh, received funding from one and quite frankly, not sure the status of the other four. Uh, and how crucial are those PP loans to your future? Well, I mean, as far as the future is concerned, um, it is crucial. I mean, uh, we're keeping our employees on through this uh, crisis and pandemic and like to be compensated for doing so because, you know, our, our operations have been cut down, the revenues have been cut down. And so, um, you know, we, we, we need, you know, these, this program for assistance and, and helping, you know, to, to compensate those losses you know, that we're sustaining, you know, as far as uh, the employees are concerned. J Jay, could you help Tony with some of these loans or are there these restrictions that mean you can only help existing clients? No, 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 no. We can help Tony. Tony, you should have called me as soon as, you know, and we were and I was personally and my colleagues are personally dealing with lots of other people like Tony. So PPP loans until the Congress acts, until there's more uh, some, you know, some more uh, and intelligence being brought into the, some of the discussions that are taking place. There are a couple of things, Tony, that you can do. One is that there are SBA disaster loans. Then there is the SBA uh, express loans. And those loans go all the way, you know, for a couple of million dollars, a million or so, uh, to three, four million bucks. And you should take advantage of it, Tony. And well, and it's, Tony, you know, I, have, I, I, Tony I have a question for you. I, I have a question for you. I'm going to make the assumption, I don't think I'm wrong, that the demand for tomatoes or tomatoes, as Wolf calls Thank them, you, Kevin. is the same. Is the same. It's either juice, it's in a salad, people eat them every day, the same number, three or four a week. You're just caught in the wrong distribution right now. I'm going to make that assumption. And you're going to, hopefully, as an entrepreneur, pivot so that next time this happens, you find other channels of distribution because those tomatoes sitting in the field, people want to eat. You just can't get them to them. That's correct, is it not? No, it's not. Let me correct you, Kevin. First of all, our, our tomatoes that we produce are strictly for the fresh market. They're not processing. They don't go into juices and paste. Our business and the fr uh, fresh tomato industry is about 80% food service and fast food industry. And when the restaurants were shut down or you quit the in, uh, uh, dining service, uh, the fast food restaurants shut down, the school system shut down, the cruise ship industry shut down. The theme parks live in, you know, the state, producing the state of Florida, Disney World. When those sectors shut down, uh, that being 80% of our business, it brought our industry to the need, uh, to our knees. Uh, we do have some retail business, but it's, uh, as you can see, a large percentage and the majority of our business is food service. And I, I know this with, with the uh, stay-at-home orders that have been announced 
people are getting out less and less frequently to the retail grocery store, so these valleys of demand are being are, are much more prolonged, and it's impacting the the our industry even further. So, uh, when you had the initial uh, uh, rush and, and the mass hysteria, everybody rushed to the grocery stores, mm-hmm. you know, bought the essentials, bought the food items, but they bought for two, three weeks at a time. And the same thing is happening okay. now. People are getting out less frequently. When they do get out, they're buying, you know, their essentials and produce items for two, three weeks at a time. So, you know, our business being dependent on the food service business was very devastating to our industry. And, and I know this, the restaurant industry is not opening up tomorrow. School systems around the country are not opening up tomorrow. The cruise ship industry is not opening up tomorrow. Quick, quick final question, Jay, to Tony. Yeah, Tony, so if you could stay open, all right, people are not going to, like, listen to Kevin. People are not going to stop eating tomatoes, okay? So we, but, and you can get help from bank. It's our duty, and we'll make money on it too, Kevin. We'll never do anything without making money, you know? But we've got to help the customers. So you need help. You need some bucks to stay open because this, we will open up. All the things you talked about will shut down. Guess what? They are all one day going to open up. My prediction, not too long, not sure, too far away. Sure, Jay. But, Tony, very quickly, because we, we're, we're up against the clock, but uh, how, how many more months have you got uh, where you feel like you can survive? Uh, do you need those types of restaurants to, to reopen again? Well, our, our business is seasonal. We, you know, we were most impacted in our South Florida, uh, Homestead, Florida operation. We were right in the midst of our volume time of the year, the spring time of the year. We left over 10 million pounds of tomatoes that went unharvested. We were uh, stuck with inventories on hand that were sold, had POs to them. Our customers had every intention of uh, picking up the products, but because their businesses, restaurants, hotels, cruise ship businesses shut down, we were stuck with those inventories. As a company, we donated over a million pounds of t- tomatoes to local, state, in some cases, out-of-state food banks. The problem is there's tremendous uncertainty. We don't know when the demand is, is going to get back, uh, and it's not going to start to get back until we start opening up these regions of the country and you start opening up your local restaurants, the fast food industry goes back to their normal business, uh, so on and so forth. Um, but we don't know when that's going to be. We don't know if it's going to be two weeks from now, mm-hmm. two months from now. We're just starting our spring crop in the west coast of Florida uh, with a lot of uncertainty. Unfortunately, those crops are already planted in the ground. Those crops are planted in January and February. So uh, you know, it, we're at the point of no return for that crop. We farm in California. We're in the midst of planting that crop out there. And quite frankly, we're making hard decisions as to whether we plant our normal uh, plantings out there for the, for the marketplace in, in July and August mm-hmm. going forward. Uh, we just don't know. I don't think anybody has a crystal ball to be able to tell any of us uh, on this uh, phone of when, you know, the economy is going to get back to normalization. Ke- Remember, Kevin, I can we're, see. Producing, a, Kevin, we're I can producing a highly perishable item that has got a very short shelf life. Kevin, I can see you've got a very quick final thought, and then we need to, we need to go to break. Tony, plant big. We're coming back, baby. Don't do that. Don't be caught without enough product when it comes back. You'll hate yourself even more for that one. Okay, you great. Right, Tony. We'll have, we'll have, plenty, we'll right. have product. Please make sure there's lots of uh, tomatoes uh, for the other side of this. Uh, Tony, Jay, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, fascinating uh, discussion uh, there. Kevin, of course, sticks, uh, sticks around. And coming up next, it is a Friday evening after all. We're going to talk to an owner of a brewery 
uh, and uh, how they're holding up during these difficult times. Welcome back. Our sister network Telemundo has partnered with the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce to launch Our Businesses to provide resources, tips and guidance to businesses spotlighting small and medium-sized Hispanic-owned businesses impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Go to telemundo.com for more on that. Now tonight, a brewery owner in Miami who has been able to avoid layoffs uh, is joining us, Carlos Padron, founder of the Tank Brewing Company, who applied uh, and was approved for PPP, but has not yet received the funds. He joins us uh, now. Uh, very uh, good evening to you, uh, Carlos. So uh, talk us through uh, at the moment uh, what, what the impact has been on, on, on your business from this pandemic. Yeah, for us, we're basically, uh, there's two facets to our business. We're in distribution and, and we sell out of our tasting room. So both are basically 80% down, uh, distribution probably even higher and in the tasting room, you know, depending on the day, it could be 70%. But both are both are substantially down right now. Do you have any other offsetting online sales, or, or is that just a small portion? Yeah, yeah. So what, what we did is back on literally a month ago today, we, we went from being able to open up in our tasting room to curbside pickup and deliveries. So that's what's uh, keeping us going. And, and there's a little bit of distribution going on to the supermarkets. Uh, our canned products, but 80% of our business is kegs that goes to bars and restaurants, and that's basically shut down like everybody else. So it's very little sales going on in that in that regard. Kevin, you, I, I, am I right? You, you don't uh, make beers, but something similar. You may make wines. Is it a similar experience for you? This. I'm, I'm sitting here in Miami, right beside you, and I know this for sure: beer consumption is not down. People are like me. We're drinking beer. We're looking out at the ocean saying, wow, I lost a lot of money today. I think I'm going to have another beer. It's where I get my beer from. Your constituents, and if I, owned, if, if I was an investor beside you, Carlo, I'd be asking you this question. What are we going to do to get to our customers directly? They love our beer. We know we're drinking our beer. Their consumption is not going down. If anything, it's going up. What can we do to sell more directly to them? Can we deliver it to them? Can we do outside pickup? Can we put it in their trunk while they have their windows up? I mean, let's pivot, baby. We're entrepreneurs here. Why aren't we doing more of that? Because you are in a business where there is no destruction of demand. There's only increase right now. Am I being too critical, Carlo? No, at all, Kevin. But we actually did do that. We were the first, probably one of the first breweries to start with curbside pickup and delivery. And then deliveries when it was allowed. Remember... Uh, through the three-tier system, we had to get approval to do the delivery part, right? So it's, you know, it's a complicated because of, uh, and you know that being in the wine business, it gets complicated as far as that. But we did get permission to start the delivery process. So we are reaching out to our customers. And what we did is our our tipped employees basically have become drivers. Uh, we increased their hourly wages. Uh, they've become drivers, and they've done a great job. And so through social media, which is really the the only avenue that we have. We are, we're reaching those customers. We're actually launching a, a new beer and a new campaign on Monday, the well, beer called Loca, a loca, the first Miami low-calorie beer. Uh, so it, us and all the local breweries are kind of doing that. You know, it's just a matter uh, of execution. And, and so far, I think we're doing a great job. we got a new tasting room manager that has basically uh, – done an excellent job in executing on our plan so we are delivering again with limit you know with limitations 10 to 12 mile radius and and getting it out there 
And what you indicated is correct. You know, we need, you know, some small breweries. As you know, we fight for shelf space in some of the bigger stores like Publix and Winn-Dixie in, in, in our area. Uh, we need them to give us a little bit more shelf space now this, this time of the year. I know they have their set mm-hmm. plans and everything, but, you know, when we come out of this, we need help from, from stores like that because I think we are a driving force in the community. Carlos, uh, are you Carlos, worried? You've got this. Go ahead, Kevin. Sorry, you've go got ahead. the spirit, Carlo. You've got the spirit. I know one thing coming out of this thing. You will never frown on spending more money on social. Think about it. If you had more of your own customers knowing exactly what you're doing every day, you'd be selling a lot more beer. This is what's going to happen in America. All entrepreneurs like you are going to pivot to having direct relationships because you never want to have this happen again. And who knows what the next pandemic is, but hopefully you'll be ready. It doesn't sound like you're going to zero. That's good. It's great advice from uh, Kevin there to Carlos. Carlos, apologies uh, to to cut you off there. We we are out of time. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, uh, founder of the uh, Tank uh, brewing company. Uh, all that talk uh, made me thirsty on this Friday evening. Our great thanks as well to Kevin O'Leary for being with us. Uh, very, very good discussion uh, as always. Uh, for all of us here at CNBC, uh, I'm Wilfred Frost. Before we leave you though tonight, uh, images and quotes that have stirred the nation in this week. in this together. We will get through this together and we will move forward together. that America is going to show up again in our businesses and support us. America wants to beat the virus. The world wants to beat the virus. And we will do our part. We will emerge stronger. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.